Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, Real Paranormal Activity is proud to present Terry's Mysterious Moments. Welcome to Season 2 of Terry's Mysterious Moments. Thank you for listening to the show. I hope you find something interesting. Or maybe something spooky. Or maybe something just... Mysterious. friends it's time for another episode of terry's mysterious moments and we're still in the series dealing with haunted hotels we're running out of steam on this one so this is not the last it's not the next to the last but it may be two more shows on these topics overlooking the quaint travis park in san antonio the crown plaza saint anthony hotel is a hotel of firsts It was one of the first of San Antonio's hotels to earn the nickname The Grand Old Lady. It was the first purely luxury hotel in the Lone Star State and had been designed with that mindset from the get-go when the first brick was laid down in 1909. And to counter those hot Texas temps, the St. Anthony was the first hotel in the world to offer central air conditioning. Since its construction in 1909, the St. Anthony has played home away from home to some of the biggest names in Hollywood to include, but not limited to, Fred Astaire and more recently George Clooney and the former governor of California, Arnold Schwarzenegger. It underwent a massive renovation and overhaul in 2013, which returned this lovely hotel to its former glory. But in the last century, and then some, Since the St. Anthony's grand opening, there has been one thing that has remained without fault, the hotel's ghostly population. And as much as the living love this elegant hotel, it seems that the hotel's spirits are even more enchanted by it. Leading up to the 20th century, San Antonio had undergone a major transformation of sorts. 
It operated as a cattle town as much as it did as a strategic military defense for the southwest and the Mexican border. When the Sunset Route opened its train depot in San Antonio in 1877, well, might as well have been the match lighting the tender. San Antonio's economy boomed. By the early 1900s, the historic city of San Antonio had the largest population in the state, and its myriad of cultures and diversity earned itself a name as one of America's unique cities. For those with the idea, the wherewithal, and the gumption to start a business, San Antonio was the place to be. And there was one particular man by the name F.M. Swearingen who had the necessary prerequisites to make his dreams a reality. Prior to opening the St. Anthony Hotel, Swearingen had been the manager of the famed Hot Springs Resort Hotel of San Antonio. But he had large dreams, larger than just managing a hotel for someone else, and he turned his attention to his own extravagant plan. Swearingen instinctively understood that he needed investors if he wanted his showcase hotel to be everything he had hoped for. Thus, in came the money. Cattle Barons B.L. Naylor and H.H. Jones, both men were incredibly well off, and Jones would even become mayor of San Antonio shortly after although he died in 1913 while still serving the city. Naylor and Jones provided the cash, and it wasn't long before Swearingen had purchased land from Samuel B. Maverick. He ordered the demolition of Maverick's house and then turned Maverick's orchard into what is now known as Travis Park. When the final touch was added to the St. Anthony Hotel, there was not a single doubt that Swearingen, Naylor, and Jones had outdone themselves. For $500,000 in 1909 currency, illuminated closets were added, as well as bedroom lights that turned off when the door clicked shut. Added to these luxurious features was the fact that each bedroom had its own private bathroom. The St. Anthony Hotel was opulence personified. For F.M. Swearingen, it was a dream accomplished. After the 1909 grand opening, the St. Anthony Hotel hit the ground running. One tower was erected, then a second one was constructed shortly after. Oh, but nightly rates were high, averaging $1.50 per night, and made it so that the St. Anthony's clientele were generally of the upper crust variety. Not really something to brag of, in my opinion. Snobbery is never pretty or cheap. But in 1929, the American economy tanked, and it became imperative that the St. Anthony do something to protect itself from the spiraling hole that was America's financial crash. The man to tackle the problem was Ralph W. Morrison. His financial advisors had warned him against making a badly advised financial decision, but Morrison barely gave their worries another thought. He was going to do it, and do it he did. He purchased the now-failing St. Anthony Hotel. He added two stories to the top, bringing the number of floors to ten. He connected the two towers. He sealed off the old elevator shafts from the public and converted them into a central air conditioning unit. If that wasn't enough, the hotel was also outfitted with the first auto lobby so that guests could park downstairs and then take the elevator directly to the lobby or Peacock Alley as it was called at the St. Anthony, probably due to the strutting upper crusties showing off their finery, each probably trying to outdo the next. Morrison was almost single-handedly responsible for gracing the hotel's interior with French Empire antique furniture, authentic oil paintings, beautiful tapestries, and countless sculptures. 
Beautiful could not accurately describe the architecture and the design of San Antonio's most luxurious hotel. And in truth, it was so beautiful that it was fit for royalty, both of the bloodline and of the self-made variety. It wouldn't make sense for a club geared toward the elite of society to be founded or operated anywhere else but the St. Anthony Hotel. And so it came to pass. The St. Anthony Club was established. In 1959, the club was founded. In theory, it was a dinner club, but in reality, it was the biggest nightclub in the Southwest and the third most popular in the country at the time. Invited members included celebrities and well-known figures from all over the world. And to top off the bubbly champagne, the club's nightly live music was broadcast live on the radio all over the United States. If you were important, you belonged to the St. Anthony Club. If you weren't important, you simply wished you might just get invited once. In a twist of unfortunate events, and by unfortunate events, I mean karma, the St. Anthony Club as a presence or group no longer exists. Although you can certainly make a stop in this infamous part of the hotel when staying at the St. Anthony. From 2013 to 2015, the legendary hotel underwent a major renovation, which was the most recent since the 1980s. The priceless antiques that Ralph Morrison had once brought to the hotel were restored, and even original Venetian tile mosaics were revealed beneath the layers of flooring and polished to a glimmering sheen. The St. Anthony Hotel prides itself on delivering a renaissance of glamour. Steeped in the living history of San Antonio, the hotel is a continuance of a fine tradition where the grandeur and grace of the past exist in harmony with the conveniences of the present, all delivered with world-renowned Southern hospitality, but even better than that, Texas hospitality. While all of this is true, and if you choose to stay at the St. Anthony, there's no doubt you'll feel similarly. It seems that the hotel has left out one major aspect of its Texas hospitality, its ghosts. When discussing the paranormal activity at the St. Anthony, some might argue that it's tough to know who is haunting the Staley Hotel. As author Dosha Schultz-Williams wrote in her book, When Darkness Falls, Tales of San Antonio Ghosts and Hauntings, no one really knows who the St. Anthony spirits might be. Ms. Williams continues on to say that while there aren't any specifically identified ghosts at the St. Anthony, it's unquestionable to say that the hotel is haunted. Talk to the staff members or the guests of the hotel and, well, there's no limit to the number of ghost stories that have been reported in this historic hotel. Who were some of those nameless wandering specters at the St. Anthony? Well, because we don't know the names, we have to call them as we see them. The Lady in Red. An apparition of a lady wearing a red sheath dress has been seen wandering the halls of the St. Anthony Hotel. Nameless though she remains after death, people have reported watching her amble down the corridors or enter into the ladies' room. Women, the alive kind of women, have stood at the sinks washing their hands when the lady in red struts through the doors. Her heels click against the marble and she enters the first stall of the women's restroom and then disappears. Her stocking-clad legs, seen beneath the stall's divider, shimmer and then vanish. But the legs never returned, not at that moment anyway, and the women who witnessed it might begin to question their sanity. 
It is suspected the ghost of the lady in red was a guest of the hotel when she entered the stall to use the restroom. Short of breath, she panicked and she hightailed it back to her room where she ultimately suffered a heart attack. Is the womanly spirit seen entering the restroom and wandering the halls, simply reliving her final hours on this earthly plane? The tenth floor is supposedly haunted. Added on during Ralph Morrison's management during the Great Depression, the tenth floor is reputedly the most haunted level of the St. Anthony. Bellmen working at the hotel have heard the sounds of footsteps trailing behind them. One staff member, in particular, heard the distinct sound of shuffling behind him one night when he was finishing some tasks. He slowed to a stop, so did the padding of feet behind him. The bellman rolled his shoulders to shake off the nerves and proceeded forth. The footsteps behind him started anew. This time the bellman ground to a halt and twisted around to look over his shoulder. No one was there and he was completely alone. Could this spirit be the same tall, ghostly man dressed in a dark suit who has been seen riding the elevators only to disappear when he reaches the 10th floor and exits the elevator? Nobody knows. One guest staying on the 10th floor was dead asleep when she was awakened by the sounds of something hidden on her door. She said it sounded like a strap of leather or belt snapping against the wood. She jumped out of bed and ran to the door and when she swung it open, she noticed there was nobody there. Not a single soul in sight. But when she heard it again, she realized that the sounds of leather meeting wood were occurring in a rapid succession down the hall. Doors were swinging open as everyone heard the same noise and they opened their doors. The following morning at 6.15, the same paranormal occurrence happened again. And once more, each guest on the 10th floor found themselves peering out into the hallway, hoping to find the perpetrator, but finding no explanation whatsoever. The Ghosts of the Men's Locker Room Sexism doesn't rear its ugly head at the St. Anthony. If the ladies' restroom is to be haunted, then it seems only fair that a male-oriented space should have some ghostly activity as well. Downstairs in the St. Anthony's Male Employee Locker Room, there have been many people who have reported spectral sightings. Men who are gathering their belongings at the end of a long shift have experienced the startling sensation that they are not alone. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. It is said the doors in this area of the hotel are known to open and close by unseen forces. And to make matters more nerve-wracking, there is the ever-present sound of distinct footsteps on the floor, even when no one is around. Others have reported hearing the sounds of an employee washing up in one of the empty stalls. And even more disturbing are the shadow figures that have been spotted down in the locker room. For these paranormal phenomena, it's uncertain as to who they might have been. For the strong of heart, head down to this area of the hotel and see if you run into one of these shadowy outlines or hear the disembodied 
footsteps. The Anacacho Ballroom, gorgeously massive chandeliers hang from the ceiling, twinkling and illuminating the Anacacho Ballroom better than any disco ball ever could. Today, the Anacacho Ballroom is used for classrooms, for business dealings, and for weddings. Its two-storied space is one of the most beautiful rooms in all of the St. Anthony. But one thing is for certain, it's haunted, and the ghost still inhabiting the Grand Ballroom is no doubt the sort who likes to play pranks. On one particular night, one of the security guards of the hotel was doing his rounds when he stopped in the Anacacho Ballroom to make sure that everything was secure. Just as he approached the door to leave, he both saw and heard the deadbolt lock into place. Shock immobilized him as he heard what sounded like someone kicking the door. When he managed to shake it off seconds later, he unlocked the door and peered out. Not a single soul was there. As he later reported, he hadn't known nerve-wracking fear until that moment when a cold chill was racing up his spine and he knew without a doubt that he was not alone. For many who choose to stay at a fine, stately hotel during a vacation, there are a few things that are expected. You'll be treated kindly. This is a check at the St. Anthony. You'll truly feel as though the hotel is your temporary home away from home. Also checked off for those staying at the St. Anthony. Your room will not be double booked. Maybe. Unfortunately, the St. Anthony can't guarantee this last unchecked box, not because they don't want to, but because the ghosts of the St. Anthony truly have different plans. On more than one occurrence, guests at the hotel have checked in with grand smiles on their faces. They're ready for an adventure of a lifetime in San Antonio, even more ready now that they have booked their stay at the St. Anthony. They're checked into the hotel by an equally smiling front desk clerk and given directions to their room. Up they are whisked to their floor on the elevator, not even put off by the cheesy elevator music. No, nothing can ruin this experience. Quickly they find their room and let themselves in, only to come to a stuttering halt when they see a man and woman sitting in the room drinking cocktails. Now furious, the once happy guests sweep into the lobby, and after accusing the hotel of booking them a room which had already been booked, the guests, who are no longer guests, check out and storm off, never to be seen again. A bit overdramatic, wouldn't you say? It would be nice to say that this scenario was made up, but unfortunately that'd be a lie. Those guests were incredibly put out when they saw that their room was already occupied. When the St. Anthony staff hightailed it upstairs to tell those other wayward guests to get out, they found nothing and no one in the room, no evidence whatsoever of recent habitation. This has actually happened several times, according to the staff, and the staff have come to the conclusion that many of the hotel spirits stay because they once enjoyed their own stay here. Although they might not be part of the living, they're unwilling to leave the hotel entirely. So if you happen to find yourself sharing your room upon check-in to the St. Anthony, just remember that the overall experience of the hotel is so great that even the dead are not willing to forego the pleasure of staying at the St. Anthony. Last week I told you about the Gunner Hotel and the fact that there was a murder in 1965 in room 636 of the Gunner Hotel where a man shot and then apparently cut up a woman in the room and then when a maid walked into the room to clean it, the man just scooted out past her and disappeared. 
The St. Anthony is connected to the gunner by this tragic and macabre killing. It was the year 1965, like I said, when the St. Anthony would find itself amidst a mysteriously gruesome murder case. Many of the details elude us until this day. A clipping from the San Antonio Express of the time said, A block down the road, one of the housekeepers of the gunner approached room 636 with fresh towels. She absentmindedly did not read the Do Not Disturb sign on the door, but thought nothing of it as often guests forgot to remove it when they checked out. She opened the door holding the bundle of towels and stopped dead in her tracks. The room was covered in blood, blood on the walls, the ceilings, the floor, and oh God, Maria Luisa Guerra must have thought as her gaze locked onto a man standing next to the bed, something terrible had happened. In his arms, the man held a large bundle of what appeared to be blood-soaked paper bags. The maid screamed and the murderer took the opportunity to leave the scene. The police were called to room 636, where they found a lipstick-smeared cigarette, as well as a lock of brown hair. Checks and more brown paper bags were found also. But there was no body, nor would a body ever be produced. As the city erupted into utter fear, a man checked into St. Anthony just a block away. He checked in under the name Robert Ashley on February 9, 1965, just two days after the bloody murder. He listed his address as 2822 Swiss in Dallas, Texas. He asked for room 636, but upon checking, found it was booked. The front desk attendant apologized and said, did he mind having room 536 instead? Well, he wrote a check for staying at the hotel, and the attendants thought it was quite strange that Robert Ashley traveled from Dallas with no luggage when it was chilly outside. Said he planned to stay at the hotel until February 13th. The cops investigated every outlet for evidence, and it was only when a check came out from a restaurant that Robert Ashley had taken his paramour that the truth unfurled. His name was actually Walter Emmerich, and he had planned the murder, even having visited Sears to purchase a meat grinder. After having been alerted by the St. Anthony desk, cops arrived at the St. Anthony Hotel. When they tried to arrest him, it was to no avail as the door was locked, and they tried to get in through the door into room 536. Walter Emmerich lifted a gun to his head and pulled the trigger. They found him dead on the bed with the 22 pistol right next to him. But the clues were all there. All the dirty details matched. The room numbers, even though Emmerich had had to settle for 536 at the St. Anthony, instead of the 636 like he had at the Gunter. The fingerprints were the same at both scenes. The gun was the same caliber, and even the same cigarettes were found in room 536. More evidence included the brown paper bags and the checks used to check in at both locations. The San Antonio police had their guy, but did not have the woman. Her body was never found, and even though witnesses saw Emmerich parading around town with a tall blonde woman for a series of days before the murder, her disappearance has never been solved. Still today, the fifth floor of the St. Anthony gives some of the employees a very strange feeling. Housekeepers have been called to bring towels to the floor, but when they arrive, no one answers the door. Still, they place the towels in the bathroom, turn around to exit, and see a rollaway bed or some other heavy object blocking their exit out of the room. As for the homicide detective who worked the 1965 murder case, he admitted in a 1976 interview that people told me that they do too, 
talking about getting a funny feeling in the between the gunner and the saint anthony i can't help it but it can give you chills for those looking to stay in this reputedly haunted room at the saint anthony be aware that room 536 has since been split into two different rooms after the 2013 through 2015 renovations nearby san antonio lies the small town of seguin in the confines of seguin is an old hotel the Magnolia Hotel. The Magnolia Hotel is a historic structure. It was in operation as a hotel as early as 1844. In 2013, the structure came under new ownership and is in the process of being restored for use as a private residence. The building had been in poor repair for a number of years and was added to a list of the most endangered historic places in Texas in 2012. During the Republic of Texas time, a two-room log cabin sheltered travelers on the frontier as early as 1844 and became known as the Magnolia Hotel. An adjoining concrete building was erected by early 1846. Then a larger two-story frame building replaced the log cabin by 1853. The Magnolia's Limecrete section was built by John Park, who was a chemist and a doctor, and he experimented with concrete after moving to Seguin in 1846. The hotel was the first Park's concrete building in town, and is surely the oldest still standing. Park's work with his imitators and rivals led to Seguin having the largest concentration of mid-19th century concrete structures in the United States. The dating of the concrete hotel is established because Captain Jack Hayes, perhaps the most famous Texas Ranger, married a girl named Susan Calvert in the south room of the concrete portion of the hotel on April 29, 1847, Reverend John M. McCullough presiding. Park's concrete building was next to a two-room cabin built of logs originally gathered by Seguin residents to build a stockade as defense against possible Indian raids. The logs were instead sold to Texas Ranger James Campbell, and his cabin became the point of defense. Campbell, however, did not get to enjoy the place for too long. During a trip to San Antonio, he was ambushed and killed by two Comanche Indians one mile outside of San Antonio on June 18, 1840. His friends and companions buried him at the site of his attack. The two-story frame building that now sits atop the large basement replacing the Campbell cabin dates from the early 1850s. It shows graceful Greek Revival symmetry and detailing around the door and a roof line similar to that of the concrete house known as Sebastopol, also in Seguin, built in 1854 to 1856. Frederick Law Olmsted passed through Seguin in February of 1854 and wrote about the town's many concrete buildings, noting the hotel is large and good that he made no mention of the hotel itself being concrete implies that he was referring to the much larger wooden building, dating it to about 1853. Jeremiah Calvert sold the property to Dr. William Reed, a dentist who operated the hotel from 1850 to 1860. Then Colonel Thomas Dickey Johnson and Catherine Calvert Johnson owned it until 1900. Together, they encompassed the years when the Magnolia served as an overnight stop for stagecoaches making their runs from the coastal ports to San Antonio and points west. A young slave rang a bell to announce the stage's arrival, to summon guests at mealtime and in emergencies. 
The stone the youngster stood on remains in place. The bell actually came from the Alamo, having been found in the San Antonio River in 1845, and then brought to the hotel by John Tuig, and was used at the Magnolia until about 1900. A Seguin woman purchased the bell and donated it to the Daughters of the Republic of Texas, who were then the managers of the Alamo Shrine. During the stagecoach years from 1848 to about 1880, the Magnolia served as a stagecoach stop in Seguin. As such, the hotel served as the center of social life in the town, serving food, drinks, and hosting dances in the ballroom. Rival hotels constructed of brick and boasting of fireproof construction opened in the last decade of the 19th century and the early years of the 20th century, and they displaced the Magnolia as the premier lodging in town. In the 1930s, the property was bought by the Lanham couple, who lived downstairs and operated with small apartments upstairs for another 65 years or so. The building fell into disrepair, leading Preservation Texas to list it among the state's most endangered historical places in March of 2012. On March 1 of 2013, Jim Getty and Aaron O. Wallace Getty purchased the building and have privately funded the restoration, bringing it back to its original state. It now has become a private museum and personal residence to the Gettys. Though much of the building remains a work in progress, the bottom floor has been fully renovated. The building was visited by the Ghost Adventures TV show because the hotel is said to be haunted by a murderer. Wilhelm Faust was staying at the Magnolia Hotel in Seguin for work in 1874. While Wilhelm was working, Faust family friends, Julius and Louise Volker, and their daughter Emma, 12, welcomed Helena, Faust's wife, into their New Braunfels home. If you look on the map, New Braunfels and Seguin aren't that far apart. It's easily travelable. On July 22, 1874, Wilhelm Faust, who was in love with his wife's sister, traveled to the Volker's home to kill his wife so that he would be free to marry her sister. He rode on horseback with an axe in hand. Usually, when Helena stayed with the Volker family, she would sleep on the floor in Emma's room while Emma would sleep in the bed. But for some reason that night they switched and Emma was on the floor while Helena was in the bed. Wilhelm unknowingly hit Emma in the dark of night, killing her instead of his wife. Helena Faust was also hit with the axe and a near-fatal blow that caused her to be blinded for life. Faust took off on his horse following the attack after he was scared off by a noise. Almost immediately, Faust was suspected of being the murderer, but because of his disinterest in who attacked his wife and his lack of participation in the search for the assailant. In October of 1875, Wilhelm Faust was convicted in the murder of Emma Volker and sentenced to life in prison. During his trial, Wilhelm admitted to several other murders, according to historian and Magnolia Hotel owner Aaron Getty. Locals were enraged by the sentence and tried to lynch Wilhelm at the Comal County Jail. After the attempt on his life, Wilhelm Faust was moved to the old Comal County Courthouse. He was shot and killed through the window of his cell on July 28, 1876, by an unknown gunman. It was what in recent modern parlance is referred to as a public service killing. Even until her death, Helena Faust never believed that her husband blinded her or killed Emma, even though he confessed during his trial. 
Well, there you have some more stories about haunted hotels in Texas. I didn't intend to run this thing this long, but I've got a couple of more stories that I think you'll enjoy about hotels we've all heard about. I want to thank you again for visiting the podcast, listening to it, taking time to sit down and hear what I have to say. Remember, you can download the Real Paranormal Activity app on whatever app store you have, whether it be the Apple App Store or the Android App Store. Download that, load it into your computer or your phone or your tablet, whatever you use. That's all I have for this week. I want you folks to have a great week. Come back next week and listen to see what I have. Thank you all for listening. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.